Welcome to the Footyology Podcast with Rowan Connolly and Rodney E. G'day everyone, welcome to the Footyology Podcast. This is our round eight preview as uh, the season. We're getting towards the halfway mark now. Gee, it goes quickly. Uh, and uh, the momentous occasions in football uh, keep coming and a couple of them uh, in the one hit in just a few days this week, which uh, we're going to talk about. One, obviously, we have a new AFL CEO. But uh, secondly, uh, we have a new team, not immediately, but they will be coming into the competition. And uh, no better person to speak to about that than a very proud Tasmanian as I introduce uh, the distinguished Taswegian, Mr. <laughs> Rodney Eid. Uh, proud day for you, Rocket. Yes, very much so, Rowan. Uh, you know, it's been a long time coming and uh, a lot of people have worked extremely hard on getting to this stage, uh, but it's it's certainly great for the state um, and certainly great for football in Tasmania as well. And um, uh, it's been um, uh, on the wane a little bit, the, the competitions over there and teams struggling for numbers and participation rates down. But uh, I think with this news and um, obviously the money that we put into development and not only the um, AFL team, but around the other communities and other competitions. I think it, uh, I think it will give it a great fill-up and it'll be great for the state economy as well. Did you believe that it could happen? Because for so long, people have sort of dismissed the the very suggestion of it. Uh, yeah, oh yeah, I was reasonably positive about it. I, I, I knew there was, uh, I suppose, a bit of negativity around from some people, uh, maybe the size of Tasmania and whether it would be viable as far as... Uh, economy of it uh but um no no i was always confident i think just being a football heartland and it really has been a key part of the the main four really and obviously tasmania started to drop out as a one of the stronger um four states probably um late 70s mid 80s type thing but uh i um no no, no i was always positive that it happened well, it has happened, and uh, yeah, obviously a lot of work still to be done in the preparation of the new club, and we're going to be talking about that with an eye to, uh, well, I guess how other clubs manage their lists, but uh, plenty of time to do that. We've got a new AFL CEO to talk about as well, and of course, we've got nine games to preview. Fair bit on the menu today. Let's get into it. On Footyology, Newsfeed. Well, the uh, longest farewell tour since Dame Nelly Melba has uh, finally finished Rocket. Uh, Gil McLaughlin, after announcing his resignation as AFL-CEO last April, will finally finish up in uh, the <laughs> two Octobers, hence. So a year and a half after announcing it, he's going to go. Uh, and by the time his replacement was named Andrew Dillon, uh, was less of a surprise that had been mooted uh, for a good week or so before. It was announced officially on Monday, big press conference. Uh, he did a bit of a, a media tour, Andrew Dillon. A um, couple of points I wanted to make about him, but uh, what are your initial thoughts about that appointment? Oh, I think it's a great appointment. I think uh, he, you know, he's very well respected at, at Clubland, um, now, he, now he's got a lot of experience. Obviously, being a lawyer, but uh, he has been involved with the AFL for a long period of time. So I've seen all facets of the game and all all controversies and all ups and downs. Um, so I think he he can work through that. I think he, he you know he's a very collaborative 
type of guy, so he'll be able to work with all stakeholders. Um, he probably hasn't got the panache of uh, what Gil, right? But everyone brings their own strengths. I mean, um, I think Andrew's strengths too are probably going to be a bit stronger than what Gil is in certain areas. So I, I think it's a good appointment. I think uh, he'll, uh, you know, he's got the positivity of the of, of clubs, uh, which is the main thing. So, I mean, the clubs aren't going to... Uh, rebel or anything like that. So, and I think he's intelligent man. I think the main point that I made that he's very collaborative. So he'll be working with stakeholders to get the best result for football. I, I like the fact that he's had extensive experience across all facets of the business. Um, his background, of course, amateur football. But you know, let, let's not forget amateur football. Despite the the private school connection, is essentially grassroots suburban football competition uh, and he's had a long experience in that both as a player and a, a coach and uh, an administrator even at that level um i also i've got to say uh, i think um it will be interesting to see how he adjusts to the increased media focus you know he's certainly not um he doesn't strike you as someone that has a, a huge personality but I, I i think that's good in a way i, I think maybe people want a bit of normality in someone who's sort of, they feel like he's on the same page as them. And to that end, I was really interested in a couple of, um, well, straight up comments he made about, for example, the uh, timing of the grand final. Um, mm. And, you know, I, I, I wonder if I was just trying to decide for myself whether how deliberate that was and whether the AFL is now very conscious of the fact that they are seen by the public as lacking integrity, lacking transparency. And here's a very down-to-earth sort of normal guy who likes and wants the same things they do, starting with perhaps a, a day grand final. So if, if that is at odds with the commission, I'll be interested to see uh, how that power struggle plays out. But I thought it was uh, – I was impressed with the way he did that. Yeah, I think uh, I think he's a straight-up-and-down guy. I know there's going to be – Things like an all and virtually it's a political, political organisation, isn't it? Um, you know, when you're dealing with all politics, you've got to play both sides of the fence, and sometimes you can't give the straight answers. Um, you, know, you give a political answer, and that's that's fine. But I think generally he's going to be a straight up and down guy. I think you, I think I, I, I hope I don't know him super well, but uh, my dealings with him would be very impressive. I, um, I would think that he would make decisions what he thinks is best for football in general. So. You know, it's interesting listening to ex-players who are from the you know Vic country just saying they're you now they're hopeful that the country clubs now might be getting, actually get a better deal and obviously now with Tasmania coming in so now those those sort of situations I think will be rectified and looked at along the way. Well, we uh, wish him well, and he's got uh, he's got a lengthy sort of induction period anyway. Doesn't officially take over till October the second, so. Um, might uh, be interested to see if he does some media training. Look, Gil was certainly very smooth and a bit of a raconteur at times. And uh, I don't know, maybe he'll go to a comedy school, see if he can learn a few gags. But uh, um, it's 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 a big role and it's a very visible role. It's probably one of the most visible roles in the entire country, really. So um, yeah. be interesting to see how quickly he adjusts. All right. Well, that was one big decision. The other one uh, being announced, uh, actually, as we record this podcast, but we all know what is being announced, and that is the addition of a 19th AFL team to the mix uh, in the shape of Tasmania. Obviously, plenty of detail to be worked out along the way, but 
Uh, and this was your idea, Rocket, so credit where it's due. One thing we can discuss immediately is how the remainder of the competition is going to cope with the obvious concessions as applied to recruiting that are going to have to be given to Tasmania. And I suspect right about now there might be some clubs that have got on the front foot here and are feeling more comfortable than others, Rocket, in terms of um, how their lists are going to look over the next few years. So tell us your thinking on on this issue. Oh, there's no doubt that uh, if I was a club, and I did talk to one uh, member of a board last year and just said, well, you're going if you're going for a rebuild, it's the right time, even though I probably wanted to go earlier. I said, don't forget that Tasmania are going to come in and they're going to be concessions. I said, oh, yeah, hadn't thought of that. So I'm sure clubs have, but until it's reality, probably um, it it doesn't hit you in the face. Now it's, say they come in 27, but it's probably going to be 28. But there's going to be at least a couple of years of concessions, I would have thought, probably embargo um, as well. So that gives teams probably three years of now some drafts to to actually get the house in order, which is not a long time. If if you are down near the bottom or if you haven't started to rebuild and your oldies are about to fall over the cliff, um, and the teams that haven't planned for that are, are in for a lot of pain. Instead of being three years, that could be five and six years away from actually making uh, hitting the bottom and then coming back up again. So, and the, and the two obvious ones for me are Richmond and West Coast Eagles. Um that are really in for a bit of pain. You have a look at North Melbourne. They started it, even though they've got some old players and they've kept, you know, Zeebel and um, Huntington and uh, Goldstein, they've been in now at least two or three drafts already. Um, I know they had Horn Francis, but they traded him out. They got Sheasel because of that. They've got Wardlaw, who hasn't played yet. They've got Powell. They've got Phillips. So they've got some young lads. Whether they the right picks, only time will tell, but they're already in the process of rebuilding. So they've got another three drafts. To actually get that right. Hawthorne probably in their own um, admittance, and that's probably the angst they had with the previous coach. Well, they wanted to start earlier, uh, but they've already started. They've had a couple of years now. They had Will Day previous to that, but the last two years, is, and they've got another three years, so they'll have five years of drafts to actually get some quality players in to actually take them up. So they'll be, they'll be in a reasonable spot once this Tasmanian concessions come in. Well, what's what's the uh, common denominator with West Coast and Richmond? They are the winners of uh, <clears throat> four premierships in that uh, space between 2017 and 2020. So clubs that were very much in the premiership window and trying to stay there. So uh, I, I guess I'm sort of arguing for them. I, I understand why they're where they are because they were trying to, you know, sort of uh, make what is it, make hay while the sun shines and topped up their list so they could keep capitalising on that premiership window and yeah. went on a little bit too long. More so in the Eagles' case, I must say, Richmond now have at least, you know, Richmond have introduced some decent young players, I think, maybe not A-graders, but good young players, whereas West Coast have clearly sat on their hands too long. But you can, even with them, and your other example, Hawthorne, did that after the three flags in a row. It's just... It's human nature, isn't it? You, you're good enough at that time. Of course you want to keep winning premierships rather than think about, okay, our next uh, generation, you know? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I agree with that. And I suppose what I'm going to talk about in a minute, Geelong have um, upturned that theory, but have gone with the oldies. But they've been able to get some – they've identified good talent. 
and they've done the Jack Bowes deal, which is another one, Tanner Bruin. So they're a destination club, which I think Tasmania can be as well because they're out of the limelight. So they've got the country style and they've still got enough business. And so Cameron's got there, uh, Bruin's gone there. Dangerfield's originally from that area as well. So um, I, I think they've done their list pretty well and they've still got some youth you know, coming through. What they've done, and I've just mentioned it, is they've still got some number one draft picks. Richmond haven't. West Coast haven't. I think West Coast, to me, are the ones that haven't looked to the future. We're stuck in the stuck in the present. Uh, I know it was it's a tough decision, but maybe trade some of their aging stars two years ago, but they they fell for the trap. Like they didn't handle COVID really well, the hubs, and they've never really recovered. They've injury in the injury after injury. So there's got to be something wrong with the program, two things. So there's a few things then to look at, but their list management has been horrible. And I I don't know their first stars are actually coming through. There's Gimme looks okay. Um, uh, Oscar Allen was a few years ago and might be okay, but where else are they going to – they're going to have to really uh, draft the lights out and pick their 20s and 30s and 40s in the draft. You have a look at Richmond, though. They've traded away their first two picks and their first pick last year for Taranto and Hopper. Yeah. But with Cochin and Rewalt gone, really – um, if they get injuries, Nankervis is 30-odd. Lynch is heading towards 30. Um, Dusty's 32, but he's still a, a good player, but he's not the superstar he was, which which happens. Teams get, I think, mesmerised by what they're producing at 28, 29, instead of saying, well, can they do it at 32? Where are we going to be? Is it realistic for us to challenge again? I didn't think it was realistic. I mean, I know, I know you did, but I didn't think it was realistic that Richmond were going to challenge this year. They've been hit by injury, so that's that's a, that's a, that's added to it. <clears throat> but I never thought Rewalt and Cochin were going to add to the. They're, they're always going to play like they are at the moment. Martin hasn't reached the heights. I, I thought it was unrealistic that they were going to challenge uh, for a flag this year. So for me, I think they should have bitten a bullet and then projected to the future. Okay, so uh, obvious question out of this. Who's the next club in danger of doing this and what do they do to avoid it? I immediately think of Melbourne, who are pretty well placed demographically at the moment. But in in light of Tassie now coming in, does Melbourne need to get on the front foot and trade out some of its players who, you know, uh, I'm not even going to name the names, but some of the players in that upper echelon get good draft value out of them. And I'm sure the fans would throw up their hands in horror. But wouldn't that be... To, uh, sort of getting on the front foot and avoiding this issue you're talking about. Yeah, and I think Brisbane. Brisbane haven't won one yet, but I know they've traded in this year, but it may be four years, but there's probably three years of good drafting. Let's say three years. If you don't do it, you and you say Melbourne finish, and Melbourne's a good example. Say they, say they finish in the top four, mm. don't even win it. They're getting pick 14 or 15 at the end of the year, and the second pick's pick 32 or whatever, and then you've got um, compensation picks and down the track might be pushed out further. But they'd, A, they'd be silly to try and trade that to top up. That's the first point. Yeah. So they trace it again. If they do that, they're really going to consign themselves to mediocrity in four years' time. There's nothing sure. I'm like you. I think they've got the base. I think they've drafted pretty well and they've and they've got some uh, some real hits um, post twenty in the draft, and it just hasn't relied on their early picks. But I, I would try and look at, yeah, players that are regarded, and they're not going to 
hurt them too much. Um, yeah, to top up and, and get some draft picks in while they're still in the still in the window as well. Do it, and you can do it. You can do it. But it's got to be smart decisions. Well, I guess uh, you know Jackson uh, for one reason or another was a you know an up and comer who was traded out of the system. I, I, you know, if you if you accept that, say Petrarca, Oliver, Gorn, uh, May, and Lever are, are like untouchable. Who's that next? Uh, you know, <laughs> naming names, I guess. Who, who's in that next tier? Who they might? Yeah, they, yeah they probably don't have Brayshaw, but um, uh, is it is it? Rivers is probably still young. Harms, but is is he the type of player? Um, gives you good depth in the midfield. He's not a bad player. Like Jaden Hunt's gone. Uh, they've obviously just signed Pickett, which is a, which is a must. But those players are probably permanently in the side, but probably and they play a vital role. But maybe a Hibbert of two years ago, that type of player. He's probably just probably just the needle's probably gone a bit the other way. But um, so that Jackson deal though. That's gonna. That's in their back pocket. If Fremantle continue on the path there, if they, that first round, second round pick this year is going to be gold for them. Yeah. So, so they're in their mind probably don't need to trade because they've already got a, their own first round and maybe pick six in the draft. Like, wow, that's fantastic. So yeah. they don't need to do that. So, so there's a lot of you know there's a lot of variables that throw into it. But I think, I think what you're saying, and I agree. Keep your mind open. Don't you have a closed mind and thinking oh listen we're in a chance to win two and three in a row here and let's let's throw all the chips in because down the track the club is going to hurt with the concessions coming that's why i reckon a club board has got to come in and set some agenda just just not let the coaches and the uh committee uh the um uh, selection committee or the no the list management committee just overrule completely when i was at the bulldogs i said to the board then which they never implemented i reckon clubs all clubs, all pub boards, should have to be um, consulted if they want to, if the club wants to trade the first round pick. So therefore, they cannot do it unless the, unless it gets ticked off, because you, you know you can, especially now with the concessions, you can actually ruin the club's future. So, yeah. and that's not saying they won't tick it off. I'm saying they can. That's that's okay. But let's let's look at the long term, the long term future. And I think that's where Hawthorne's angst was for a couple of years. That's quite ironic, isn't it? Because we've seen coaches ride roughshod over boards when it comes to retaining players. You were a coach who was actually wanting to relinquish some of your authority and they did, didn't take you up on the deal. Yeah, yeah. and I was, I was thinking the club, all clubs really, but certainly the Bulldogs, I reckon. And if we wanted to trade the first round, I think we'd have a have a compelling case anyway to justify rather than just a flimsy thing of just to get a player in. Because sometimes the players you get aren't don't live up to that expectation. So I'll tell you the other thing that emerges with this, the the um addition of a Tassie team is uh it, it pushes the premium up on the importance of your list manager, doesn't it? That that position of list manager is probably second only to coach now in terms of mm. ramifications. Yeah, I think a list manager success. draft. So they, they tend to split the role now. There's a list manager and a and a chief uh, uh I suppose recruiter. Mm. And they work, but the list managers has been a recruiter in the first place, been the main recruiting man, so they know it, you know, they're across it. But if you can select well, like Stephen Wells has been renowned as picking the eyes out of it, mm. if you can have a good strike rate like that, it, it's going to set your club up consistently down the future. Yeah. Well, uh, massive ramifications there. Yeah, I mean, they are the huge ramifications out of a new club coming into the competition, but. To get back to the headline here, um, Tasmania 
in an impending future part of the AFL. And um, congratulations to everyone involved with making that a reality. And uh, like I said, off a top rocket, proud, plenty of proud Taswegians, yourself for one, and uh, uh, my former co-host on this show, Robert Shaw, who can't stop tweeting every five minutes about how great it is to see Tassie in the AFL. So uh, well done to you too, Shorey. I'm uh, living vicariously through your success on that score. It's great to see. On Footyology, previews with Punch. Round eight kicks off in Melbourne, Marvel Stadium, 7.50pm with Carlton taking on Brisbane. The Blues back on the winner's list. Massive win over West Coast in Perth last week by 108 points. They are now up to six on the ladder. One four, lost two, and that opening round draw. Uh, really good game, this. Up against Brisbane, who um, continue to raise their stocks. They are now fourth on the ladder of the Lions after a uh, very solid 48-point win over Fremantle, which left them with a 5-2 record. Brisbane's record against the Blues is very strong. They've won nine of the last 11, that uh, going stretching back to 2013. Uh, they've only played once at Marvel Stadium this year, and that resulted in a loss to the Western Bulldogs. But they had won their previous five games at Docklands. Uh, Carlton's recent record at Marvel, pretty good as well. They've won seven of their last nine, and this year... At the ground, they are 1-1. One and one. They beat North Melbourne and lost a couple of weeks back to St Kilda. Um, some injuries to talk about, but uh, off the top, Rocket, what are your sort of instinctive thoughts about this one? Well, it's, it's certainly good for Carlton supporters and Carlton Club that they did what they did last week. No, no, no it was... Uh, Good no, no, we were worried. Yeah, we were worried about what they were able to do in Perth, but they just smashed them, which is great. Now, they had some good players back, and it shows you too. People say we'll stick to our, our system will prevail, but if you haven't got talent, it makes it really difficult. And I think having Doherty back, Sard back, uh, so they got some players back, and they played really well. Um, so, obviously, Kurnow was on fire. I mean, he's the he's the far better forward. He's the best forward they've got. Mackay just doesn't convert enough, but... Um, Brisbane are going along very nicely. I think uh, Marvel does suit them, the drier conditions. Uh, they'll move the ball well. They're starting. A couple of injuries uh, doesn't help. Obviously, Zorko and Rich um, will will hurt them. Yeah, well, just on that, uh, Zorko hamstring, they're saying two to three weeks for him. Uh, ditto Daniel Rich with a, a calf injury. So, yeah, they will hurt them, won't they? They, they both provide a fair bit of run. They do. Zorko's been in good form, actually, when he's, when he's played, and he was on fire last week. So... Uh, he'll be certainly missed, but um, uh, Dunkley's been the quiet achiever. He's hasn't much fanfare, but he's he consistently every week playing the same game, uh, tackles well, uh, winning the ball. He's obviously not the greatest kick, but I think he's his bigger body has been a real asset to them. Lockie Neal hasn't got to the heights he has in the past, but he probably hasn't had to. And I think having Dunkley there and Ashcroft now uh, slowly but surely getting better as a youngster, I think it's adding to their midfield. They've got a very dangerous forward line. Uh, their back line's holding up okay. So um haven't got many injuries other than those two guys that we just mentioned. So um, all in all, they're, they're, no, they're looking a pretty good side. I, I, my, my initial thought is that probably they'll get home in a close one. Well, just on Carlton's injuries, they are coming back at a rate of knots now. You mentioned Doherty and Saad, but Cunningham, who a bit of a forgotten man almost, Marchbank, Martin and Owies, who last year was quite important to them in terms of that forward pressure, they could all be coming back uh, this week. You'd think probably all uh, 
through the VFL. Uh, De Koning, he's in the concussion protocols. He won't play. Matt Cottrell, uh, he's another one who's now back. He played in the VFL last weekend. So um, it, it was a real factor for them early in the season, but uh, finally got some depth to play around with. And that's important, not just in terms of one number replacing another, but in positional flexibility as well, Rocket. Oh, for sure. There's no doubt about that. And it gives them, because sometimes if you don't have the depth, if you lose the wrong player, if someone else plays that role, then you lose a hole where they've come from. And the mm. player replacing them is just not quite uh, not quite there or give the same drive. So I think Dockney is a real key for them. Sard's obviously been a really good player. So having those two off half back gives them a bit of, uh, uh, you know, that bit of run that they're missing inside the centre square, who played well last week, but they, they, they do rely on the. Um, on the contested ball inside, which I think with Dunkley and Neil, they'll be able to match that the line. So I think the lines on the outside, their their biggest issue is going to be able to control Kuno. Um, obviously Mackay with his height, um, but but I think they've covered that reasonably well this year, and I, I think the lines win. Yeah, I'm I'm having a bit of trouble deciding on this one because I I think Brisbane is well, reasonably clearly the better team, but it's just something about them. On the road, I, I, I just think they're a little bit fickle. We've talked before about psychological fragility, and I think the Blues will be really up and about after such a crushing win last week. That was a that was your archetypal confidence restorer that performance. I thought so. Um, all right, I'll let you go first. You're going for Brisbane, I take it. Uh, yeah, Brisbane up, by eleven points. Eleven points, Brisbane for you. I'm gonna go for the Blues. I, I reckon. Uh, I reckon they're good enough to win this one, but uh, only just. I'm gonna go for Carlton to win this one by six points. Should be a great start to the round on Friday evening. Uh, let's turn our attention to Saturday. First game on the Saturday card is at the MCG, 1:45 p.m. The kickoff, and uh, it sees uh, unbelievably almost two of the. Bottom three sides on the ladder. And we talked about these two clubs having won four premierships between them in uh, between 2017 and 2020. Well, uh, things have taken a nasty turn for both of them. Richmond playing West Coast. Richmond are 16th on the ladder, having won just one game, drawn another one, of course. Lost to Gold Coast last week in Melbourne by 24 points. That was a massive reality check. Not just for them, for the likes of uh, stupid tipsters who thought they might recover. Not pointing any fingers at myself. West Coast, uh, Stone Motherless last on the ladder with a miserable 1-6 record and were beaten up at home, no less, by 108 points against the Blues. Uh, The Tigers won four of their last five against the Eagles. At the MCG, well, they were 9 out of 10, Richmond, but they actually haven't won there. Yet this year, three losses and a draw, the best result at the G, once a fortress for them. Uh, West Coast, well, they've been miserable everywhere, but uh, obviously that includes the MCG where they've now lost five of the last six. To top it off, uh, these two clubs have arguably the longest injury list in the competition. West Coast this week, this is almost a record, I think, uh, by my count, 18 players named on their official injury list. They've just got no one. Um, so we'll talk about that in detail in a second, but uh, yeah, pretty dark times for both these sides, uh, Rocket. It is. Um, obviously, injuries hurt both teams. I think probably in number, 
and, and, and I suppose quality too for the West Coast team because they got a lot of key players out. Richmond have, have lost players in the wrong position. I know Nankervis and Lynch are, are big, are big outs for them. Their midfield's still okay, hasn't been missed. Rewalt suffers because Lynch is not there, so that's a compounding effect. Um, Tarrant hasn't played all year, but he hasn't played much for Richmond. People talk about Tarrant's out, but he's nearly 34. He's he, you know, come across and hasn't played a lot of games for him, so they've, they've had to cut with him from, from the start. They've got Bolter, they've got Grimes down there. No, they defended okay, not too bad last week. They just couldn't score a goal. They just uh, they had enough opportunities at times and uh, kicked very inaccurately, which is a consistent theme for them this year. A lot of them uh, easy shots, but a lot of them too around corners and uh, they've got a bit of uh, lair in some of their blokes who um, uh, miss the basics. So I was surprised at them last week that they they played a boring game. It ended up being a pretty boring game, which is not Richmond. Richmond, even when they lost early in the year, they uh, that, now they were pushing teams. And then they pushed Melbourne three quarter time and only lost by a couple of goals. Uh, and they and they played an enterprising game, but. Uh, I think this game is going to be on the fact that the West Coast Eagles are so poor and have got to travel. I um I think the I think the Tigers will win this one. Well, I'll say it again. I, I keep saying this, but uh, that thing about lack of enterprise. Who are they missing? Well, among others, Morris Rioli Jr. I think he's an important player for them, and he's uh, got a hammy and will be out for I think at least another couple of weeks. Might as well rattle off the others while we're at it. You mentioned Robbie Tarrant. Well, that hip injury, he's listed now as indefinite. So that doesn't all go well for him returning at all. Uh, Josh Gibkiss, uh, at least three weeks away, we're told there. Uh, Jack Graham, test for him. He's a chance. But of those injuries, he's about the only one who is a chance. Tom Lynch, anywhere between six and 11 weeks. Nankervis, ankle, four to six weeks. So real personnel issues for them. Even that's not a patch on West Coast, though. 18 players, like I said, I'll read the names again. I did this last week, took up half the show. Uh, Batso, Bergil, Chesser, Cole, Cripps, Edwards, Hewitt, Howe, Long, McGovern, Natanui, Petrevsky, seaton Ryan, Sheed, Shuey, Williams, Winder, Yo. Uh, there's a, as many players injured as not injured on their list. And uh, really, Sheed is the one who may come back from a throat injury. Um, Yo is starting to ramp up his training, but still several weeks away. Shuey has started on-field running and apparently is responding well, but still no definite time frame on him or probably still at least three or four weeks away. So it's just got no one. And as we've said before, they haven't... Uh, they haven't handled their list well, and these replacement players, there's really very few apart from Gibney, and and let's get keep that in perspective too. He's only played a handful of games. There's just no one who raises your eyebrows, is there? No, that's right. And you have a look at it becomes a big load. Gaff is not the player he was um, playing. So uh, the trouble with older players too in this situation is coming back, and they're on the bottom ladder. Do they have the enthusiasm, the drive to get back to the top of the mountain? It's like it's not like they're 22 and, okay, we can do something bad. It's like they're 28, 29, 30, and they're playing the premiership. And it's like, oh, gee, this is hard yakka. So, that, that, so that's, that's a concern for them as well. I, um, yeah, I, I, I think travelling, which might be a good thing for the young players, getting together on a plane and you know spending some time together and sort of bonding in that way and us against their mentality, but... 
when you're so inexperienced and so young, it, it is a difficult task. Even though the you now the Tigers aren't playing that well, I still think the Tigers got too much. They've got too much talent and should be able to win this game. Just quickly, you mentioned that enthusiasm of older players. Were there moments you felt like that running around in that uh, Cerise and Maroon number up at Carrara? <laughs> I didn't play that many games, so I was okay. <laughs> <laughs> How many did you play for? I only played 30. 30, okay. Well, you did coach them to a premiership, Rocket. Never forget that. Yeah. Um, all right, tip and margin. Uh, Tigers by 27 points. Yeah, I think they get the job done pretty easily here. Uh, I'm going for Richmond by 32 points. Geelong takes on Adelaide at GMHBA Stadium, 2.10 Saturday afternoon. The Cats looking the goods again. They're up to seventh now and 4-3 after starting the season with three losses. Uh, Beat Essendon very efficiently by 28 points last Sunday. Adelaide, eighth spot after that heartbreaking loss to the Magpies by one point. Boy, was that a game thrown away. Should have had it wrapped up at quarter time. They are four and three. Hats have won four of the last five against the Crows. And, of course, GMHBA, the uh, well most uh, intimidating fortress in league footy, where they have won 25 of their last 29 games. How did Adelaide go? At Geelong, not very well is the answer. In fact, their overall record in uh, just over 30 years now is just three wins and 19 losses. They've lost their last 12 appearances at Geelong. In fact, their last win was back in 2003 when none other than Gary Ayres was coaching. And I remember this one. They got up and won and he gave it to He someone. gave it the, uh, the, the victory sign to the people in front. <laughs> he did. <laughs> Unlike Ezzy to get fired up, Rocket. Um, I, I, I don't know. I think this could be... I think people expecting Geelong to win comfortably simply because it's at home might get a bit of a surprise because the Crows... And look, devastating not to win that game. They should have won it. Uh, in fact, some people are talking about their poor conversion having cost them a much better record at the moment. They are still, nonetheless, playing some pretty good football. They are. They're quite an impressive side. And as you said, they probably should have the game wrapped up, uh, albeit the last quarter with Collingwood coming back. And the umpires made some shocking decisions in that last quarter. They did, didn't against, they? Against Collingwood. It was terrible. It would have been murder if, uh, if they hadn't have got up. But, um, yeah, I think there's a lot to like. There's a lot to there should be there's more positives out of last week's game than negatives, the way Adelaide go about. Very enthusiastic. Um playing with the limitations, but the two defenders, Murray and Butts, aren't super players, but they just do their job. Then you've got the run around them. Um as far as uh, support and driving the ball. The midfields, as we as we know, has picked up a lot. Talented forward line. I I think the ground at Geelong, not so much the crowd intimidates how narrow it is. Uh, Adelaide do like to spread it and they do like to use this their speed and um, their, their kicking skills. Not being used to such a narrow ground, I reckon, will count against them. Uh, the Geelong, I think Geelong are playing well. I don't think they've reached the heights of last year. Um, they looked like it early in the game last week, but you have to give Essendon their credit came back. But I think there's still some, not question marks, but still some rough edges around Geelong at the moment, still relying heavily on Dangerfield and he's in great form um, and he'll be up for the fight against his old club but I just think the home ground advantage more for the, the shape of it not so much the crowd and uh, actually going down there I think 
that'll be a bit for the young players to actually cope with. I watched uh, the Geelong Essendon game from the second deck of the Southern Stand, so other side of the ground to the media area. But it's just interesting when you watch games from different perspectives. One guy, and I've always rated him, don't get me wrong, but gee, he was good, uh, is uh, Tom Stewart. Uh, he's just oh, such a general of that half-back line, isn't he? Uh, he just reads He positions himself perfectly. He's as good as anyone in the if not the best in the competition. Better than Lever's probably the other one, um, who just know where to position himself, where the play is, and reference themselves perfectly into space. Good in the air as well, which helps. Um, good support for his teammates. Kicks the ball really well. Mm. Um, so, and Geelong's ground just suits him perfectly. He just drops off at the right time. That's where they've got to make him accountable. And whether it's worth, he's just probably too small to tag him. He did a good job last week on Dacos, but. Um, I saw O'Meara last year for Hawthorne, Sam Mitchell put it on him in the last quarter and really cut uh, Stewart's influence out and Hawthorne got up and won. So I think he's he's worth putting some time into. Uh, one plus of both those sides is relatively short injury lists. Of course, uh, Jack Bowes, uh, he had a calf injury and was subbed out of that game last week, so he'll be missing for a few weeks. Zach Tui was a late withdrawal. He had back spasms, um, so he'll be tested. But uh, you think he comes straight back in if he's okay. Cam Guthrie's the other one. He had a toe injury and missed last week. Uh, and they're saying, as we record this, a timeline to become clearer this week. Adelaide at the same time, really only first choice player for them who's out of contention at the moment is Shane McAdam. Uh, he's got a quad injury and probably about four Weeks away. I like what Matthew Nix is doing. I, I've, I like the sort of steadiness of this build because we talk about rebuilding, but it doesn't, uh, while some clubs do it methodically, you often see, you know, there'll be sort of, a, a, it's a non linear improvement. There'll be a big surge and then they drop back and they come yeah, again. Adelaide's been very gradual. They've just increased the number of wins every year. And I think they look a, uh, exponentially better team again this season than they were last year. They do, uh, they do, and they've you now they've modified their game and it's uh, identified some areas concern. Like the midfield, Dawson going there has been a real plus when nobody really thought about him being a back flanker going into the midfield. Uh, Walker seems to have a, a new lease of life as again, you know, playing some really good football. So um, obviously Rankin's helping them. Rochelle's jumped up. So again, they're a team that's we spoke about uh, list management drafted well. They've really gone to the draft the last few years. They can still go there. So I think I think there'll be a strong side in the next couple of years. And uh, you know, they're doing it the right way. They're playing some good footy. They're defending well. So, But uh, I think it might be just a task too big um, on the weekend. Bridge too far was going to be my expression. What's your margin? Um, I think 21 points. All right, I'm going for Geelong by... I think the Crows can push them. I'm going to say 18 points with the Cats perhaps taking the foot off the gas late in the piece. All right, that's Saturday afternoon. Uh, Let's talk about Twilight. Next game on the menu is 4.35pm Saturday at Heritage Bank Stadium, previously known as Metricon Stadium, previously known as a dump. Uh, Carrara. <laughs> Carrara. And it is Gold Coast playing Melbourne. Uh, the Suns, of course, after one of their best wins, you'd have to say, uh, 13th on the ladder at three and four after that 24-point uh, win over the Tigers. And Melbourne, 
just bowling along nicely again in second spot with a 5-2 record after a demolition job on North Melbourne last Saturday night by 90 points. Now, how do these two sides stack up against each other? Well, Melbourne, 13-3 against the Suns, and they've won their last 10. Uh, Gold Coast last win at the uh, MCG. I don't even know why I wrote that. Totally irrelevant. They're playing at Metricon, you idiot. Melbourne at Carrara have won six and lost seven and did beat the Suns up there last year in round two. Only by 13 points, though. And how have the Suns gone at their home base? Well, they've won more than they've lost since the start of last year. Won seven and lost five. Uh, all right, good wins for both these sides. So uh, Melbourne aren't going to have it uh, all their own way, Rocket, I wouldn't have thought. No, they won't. Um, that's for sure, because... Uh... Playing up there, and at four thirty-five, it'll be you know, the you know the dew would start to be coming in, so they'll be a bit a little bit slippery. I, I I can't see Melbourne losing this. And they the Suns did really well last week without Tuke Miller, but with the quality of Oliver and Petrarca and uh, Viney and uh, the midfield that they have, just being able to cover. I know Anderson's in good form and Rao's a good player, but they just don't have the depth in the midfield. I think to be able to cope with that, they do um, defend quite well, uh, but. I think the only way that Melbourne can lose is if attitudinally, if they don't, like, they don't go with the right attitude that they had last week. They needed, they got on top of North early. They need to bring that same attitude. If they think it's just going to be a walk in the park, a matter of turning up, I think the Suns will give them a big fight and maybe even win. But if the attitude's right, um, I think um, I'm, I'm sure that the um, I'm sure the Demons can win this. Well, we mentioned uh, last week the importance of Miller to Gold Coast, probably. I would have said they're almost more dependent on him than any other club is on any other individual player. And even more of an indictment on Richmond, really, that Miller wasn't there and, and yet they um, they still couldn't get the job done. But you're right. I mean, against the... we, I think we all agree Melbourne's, at, this, at the moment, got the best midfield in the competition. Miller not having him in the mix is just a fatal blow. There's just... I mean, who... Who who are we talking about having to pick up the slack there in Miller's absence? Yeah, that's right. Well, I think last week, with all due respect, Torino played really well, but he doesn't hurt you. He gets mm. his accumulator. Um, Hopper didn't have a great day. Um, they haven't got a dynamic midfield, uh, Richmond, so they're able to cope with that. And Anderson's quite a dynamic player. But this week against a, a, a classier midfield who bats deeper, it's going to be a bigger ask for Anderson and Rao whether they throw Weller through there, uh, whether they throw a tag on um, on on Oliver, only time will tell. But they'll need to throw some more players through that midfield. Just want to ask you a quick one about Raul because you go back to that incredible start to his career where people were talking about him winning the Brownlow and he's the best player in the competition and he got that unfortunate injury. And he's never really risen to those heights since, has he? In fact, Anderson appears to have sort of gone past him. Yeah, I think sometimes... Yeah. I don't say this in a negative fashion, but sometimes players catch the competition um, off Unawares. on the hop, yeah. on, the, on the hop, and he he's got a big body, and he's and they're going, oh wow, where did this come from? We generally a player like Anderson Lena, they they're a bit more outside, they take a bit of time. Where he had the physical attributes to compete, and they go, and then he got the injury, and he, he wasn't quite the player. But I think teams respected him uh, a bit more, so they've put some work into him, so he hasn't been able to have that dynamic approach that he's, he's got the one way. And I think they've been able to curtail that. 
Well, Melbourne, uh, so Miller, obviously, the big loss for the Suns. Uh, Butterick, by the way, or Butterick, Butterick, uh, expected to return around the middle of the season. Melbourne's got uh, pretty much a full list to choose from. Uh, Harrison Petty and Charlie Spargo both have had concussion issues, but uh, expected to both be available. Uh, Shaki, he injured his wrist in his debut for the Demons. He's uh, going to be tested. Uh, Dunstan had a knee injury in the VFL, so that could keep him out for a while. The one premiership player they missed anyway is uh, Christian Salem, uh, still closing in on a return from a knee injury, but uh, about a, another fortnight for him. Yeah, look, they're just they're getting the job done, aren't they? They're pretty. Um, I don't know. I just think once they they settle into a groove, they just seem to be able to turn up week in, week out, and get the job done. And uh, pretty impressive disposal of North Melbourne last week. This is cranking up a notch, and on the road makes a difference. But you think Melbourne's going to win this one pretty comfortably? I'm I'm going for the Demons by uh, twenty points. What say you? Yeah, I've got the Demons by twenty five. So yeah, I'm I'm, I'm similar to that. <laughs> We have a Saturday evening game in Canberra, 7.30pm, Marnica Oval sees GWS taking on the Bulldogs. Uh, GWS 12th, 3-4, and four, but uh, on a real high after that amazing uh, comeback win over Sydney last week by one point. That man, Toby Green, did it again. And the Bulldogs, uh, fairly routine uh, win over Hawthorne by 29 points. They're up to 10th now, and they are 4-3. and three. GWS and the Bulldogs, of course, played that very memorable 2016 preliminary final and another final subsequent to that. Uh, Bulldogs have won the last four clashes between these two sides. In fact, the Giants' last win was that 2019 elimination final. Bulldogs in Canberra, they've got a decent record there. Eight wins and four losses, but they've only played there once in the last five years, so not a familiar ground at all. GWS... Uh, of course, very familiar for them. They have, however, lost their last eight games in Canberra, the Giants. And 113 lost 18. Now, their last win there was in round 7, 2019. So not tracking too well for a supposed home venue. Some significant injuries for both, but uh, I'll just get your initial thoughts on this one. Uh, my initial thoughts are that the Bulldogs... Um, I think they're hitting some good form. They had a bit of a fight last week against the Hawks. Hawks did pretty well. Just in the end, they were able to to spread the uh, margin across. But I think they're playing some good footy. They played very well the week before. The Giants gave them a lot of confidence what they did to Sydney last week. They, now they had a good win against Adelaide in round one. They've been close in other games. So they're about the Giants. I don't think they're good enough to make the eight. But I think they're certainly good enough to scare teams. And you now the talent, obviously, with Green and Kelly, Whitfield... Um, yeah, you got Him- Himmelberg and um, uh, Hogan up forward who can who can stretch a team. So Taylor out, and I mean that should have been a loss last week, but they're able to cope with that. I think against Norton, um, Lobb hasn't really hit the thing, but they've got some height in the forward line. You know, it's going to depend on the weather, where it's cold and it's uh, frosty and it's uh, damp. Um, and that that will suit the Giants if it is. Uh, but overall, with Bondapelli in good form in the midfield, I can't see the Bulldogs losing this one. No, that's a good point, though, about the conditions because you say Canberra and night game, and the first thing I think of is snow. 
Uh, <laughs> probably a bit early to the snow, but it's not far away. It won't be far coming <laughs> off. But it'll be chilly because it's chilly in Melbourne now, so it's certainly going to be chilly in Canberra. It'll be fresh. Uh, let's talk about personnel. Uh, the Giants, they've had uh, they've had a log injury with for about four years now, I reckon, but uh, they're starting to get a few soldiers back. Davis, Keefe and Lloyd uh, all expected to be playing at some level this weekend, and you think that would be in the... Um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Sort of, uh, yeah, that's it. That's the one. I was no, I was trying to think of a smart arsey word for uh, Juju competition, but uh, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, my cognitive function is struggling at the moment. Um, Aaliyah and Bruce are still a fortnight away for the Giants. As far as the Bulldogs are concerned, uh, Josh Bruce ahead of schedule after missing uh, the last couple of games due to sternum damage and broken ribs, but probably still a couple uh, of weeks away. They're saying he may be available for round 10. Tom Liberatore, of course, the big one there, and he is expected to be available after concussion. Uh, Crozier is the other one, a handy defender when he's uh, fit and in form, and he missed last week with a uh, minor... Uh, what was that issue? Ankle. Um, so he's a chance to come back as well. Yeah, look, I, I'm a I'm a believer in the Bulldogs. Well, I should be saying I tipped them to win the flag, but I, I do think that once they start winning, they tend to keep winning. Uh, they weren't overly impressive, though, having said that against the, the Hawks, or is that not paying the Hawks enough credit? Yeah, I think the Hawks did pretty well. I think they, their matchups were good and um, Lewis back for them really helped. We'll talk about the Hawks later, but I, I think um, Hawthorne on a bad side, and I think they prepared pretty well. And I think uh, the Bulldogs just stuck at their task, and in the end, their talent you know, was the main difference. And um, I think it's going to be the same this week. I can't see if the weather's okay that Norton, um, who's going to play on him, as long as the Bulldogs don't don't bomb the ball. And if they bomb the ball, it suits the opposition. It's harder for Norton, but. But yeah, you know, but overall, I think the talent difference. I think they'll be able to get the job done. Yeah, I think you're right. Taylor, obviously, such a, a good player, but particularly against the doggies, his absence uh, might be particularly costly. I'm going to go for the Bulldogs, and not not by a lot here. I think it could be a scrappy, fairly low-scoring game. To be honest, I'm going to go for the Bulldogs by ten points. What do you reckon? I've got the Bulldogs by nineteen. <laughs> 7.30pm Eastern Standard Time. Optus Stadium is the venue and Fremantle up against Hawthorne. Of course, it's a rematch of the 2013 Grand Final Rocket, the 10-year anniversary. And uh, uh, what's going on? Brian Lake might do a lap of honour in the car with his Norm Smith medal. No, I don't know. I'm just talking rubbish here. Let's get on with it. Frio, a 14th on the ladder, 2-5. and five. Pretty unhappy season for them thus far and a pretty ordinary loss to Brisbane by 48 points. The Hawks, in contrast, lower on the ladder but would probably be a fair bit happier, you'd think, than the Dockers. They're 17th, just a 1-6 and six record, but they're playing some decent footy. Uh, lost to the Bulldogs by 29 points. That, of course, following a couple of uh, single-figure margin defeats prior to that. So they're generally uh, reasonably solid after getting belted a couple of times early in the season. Um, Fremantle against Hawthorne. Well, Hawthorne have been dominant in this fixture. In fact, they've won 12 out of 13. Well, sorry, did win 12 out of 13 between 2011 and 2019. Frio, however, have won the last four clashes. Hawthorne at Optus Stadium have won three and lost four. 
But uh, those four defeats, their last four visits to the ground. And Fremantle, not the fortress it was, uh, they've won 10 and lost six since the start of last season. Uh, injuries, uh, some key players still missing for the Dockers, but it's more than that, their issues. They cannot score. Hawthorne, uh, pretty buoyant despite continuing to lose. Uh, are they any sort of chance here, do you think? Oh, yeah, they're a good chance. Yeah, I, I find this game difficult to pick. This is the most difficult game for me to select because the Hawks are in good form. Lewis back, as I mentioned before, he um, he gives them, he straightens them up. Um, Will Day back last week and played a very good game. Um, now they're playing okay. Uh, they, they've uh, now a few of their kids have gone back to Box Hill. I'd imagine they'll be coming back in. Some of them, McKenzie did a good game, so they're they're, they're in reasonable shape um, whether they can get the job done because. If Fremantle don't win this game, they won't make the finals. They're, they're up against it as it is. But if they don't win this, I think their season's shot. Um, but you're right. They they struggle to score goals. Last week, they went handball happy in the first quarter, went crazy, um, which was probably an overcompensation for being stodgy and slow um, in their previous game. So it'd be interesting to see how they play and the way they go about it. I, I think Hawthorne prepare pretty well. I think they identify... Uh, key players, uh, the style of the opposition, how they set up, they, they change it around a bit every week to maximise their um, their own play against the opposition. I think they do that pretty well. You know, they obviously run out of talent at the end and experience, which costs them towards the end of a game. I st- struggle with, uh, depending on the weather and depending, you, you'd think Fremantle should win this home game. Their season's on the line. You'd have to pick them, but I wouldn't be surprised if fourth one won. No, they're just they're not a reliable conveyance, are they? And we we talk about their younger players and those sort of younger lesser lights for the Dockers. They'll, they'll show a bit of flash here and there, but they can never ever seem to sort of parlay that into week upon week consistency. And and that's their issue, aside from the the scoring woes. And I can't see how they're going to turn that around. To be perfectly honest, we talked about Matt Tabiner last week, uh, serious back injuries, had surgery. May not see him again this season. The other one, of course, uh, the dual Brownlow medalist, Nat Fife. Uh, so the latest update on him, he completed a training session last weekend and his foot pulled up well. But, boy, if you're going to be talking about that as a major achievement, you'd think he's still some. Oh, he's still some. Player. And, you know, it's really up to Jackson now. To, I know he's young, but he's, that's what happens when you get big money. You get the pressures on you and he needs to stand up. You know, I don't think we can make excuses anymore to say, oh, he's young, he's giving time. Well, don't take the money if you don't want the pressure. And um, I think he's got to stand up in the forward line uh, to actually give them a target. You know, we talk about Frederick and Henry. I know Henry's been out, but we Switowski, they're, they're flashy in, in and out players. They need yeah. to be more consistently to be able to do it. So I, I will pick Fremantle with a heavy heart, as, as I'm not convinced, but... Uh, I uh, wouldn't be surprised the Hawks get up. Well, uh, you mentioned Henry. He'll he'll be tested uh, with concussion. Frederick has had an adductor injury, could come back this week. But they've had another blow, Heath Chapman, who is pretty handy. He's uh, had a high-grade hamstring injury during training, just as he was about to come back from a calf injury. So um, they're saying TBA on him. They okay? haven't even got a prognosis on his return. So... Um, all of a sudden, you know, their, their depth looks pretty questionable. Um, they just don't—they don't have enough leaders. They don't have enough goal kickers. 
And they certainly don't have enough confidence at the moment either. And were they playing anyone else but Hawthorne, I'd probably be tipping the opposition. And even so, I, I agree with you. I think the Hawks are a massive chance, but uh, I'm too much of a coward on the tipping front to <laughs> put my money where my mouth is. So I'm going to go for Frio, but uh, by two points. I got Frio by five. Adelaide Oval, 1.10pm Eastern Standard Time sees Port Adelaide taking on Essendon. The Power are in fifth spot, 5-2 and two after a terrific win over St Kilda last Friday night. And Essendon coming back to the field a bit now with a tougher draw. They're ninth on the ladder, slipping out of the eight after that 28-point loss to Geelong. Their record now 4-3. and three. Uh, Port, pretty good track record against the Bombers. They've won the last five meetings with the Dons. Essendon's last win over Port all the way back in 2018. The Bombers at Adelaide Oval are 6-6. Six and six. They did beat Melbourne there back in round five, but, of course, uh, a neutral venue for that game, so not as difficult as taking on a side with a rabid home crowd. And Port, of course... Uh, love Adelaide Oval. They have won 10 and lost six since the start of last year. Uh, biggest news on the injury front for the power is the loss of Xavier Dersma, a uh, serious knee injury. He's going to be out for eight to 10 weeks. Of course, Miss Georgiades out for the season with uh, that serious knee injury and the perpetual Orazio Fantasia injury update. He is still three to four weeks away with a quad injury. That's like uh, Fantasia's quad injury, Rocket. It's like one of those, you know, in those sitcoms, you'd see someone filling up a bottle and they empty it and it just automatically refills. He's probably Well, he's had calves and hamstrings as well. Oh, I think he's oh, just about shot. Oh, I reckon, I mean, he, got, I reckon he, he might be. Yeah, if you've got that many soft tissue injuries and the speed he goes at, I think he's, um, unfortunately, um, just it's, about been cooked. A, it's been a good trade for Essendon. They've done well out of that. Uh, yeah. Speaking of Essendon, just quickly on the injury front, of course, Sam Durham, he's out uh, suspended. Mac Welfie, about three weeks away uh, with a hamstring injury. Jaden Laverde, the most consequential one there, out for uh, probably four weeks with a shoulder injury. And, boy, we saw the ramifications of that, though, against Geelong. Uh, poor old Brendan Zirk-Thatcher getting absolutely monstered by Tom Hawkins. Less of a factor, you'd think, against Port, but uh, still, it does leave their um, defensive setup dangerously thin. How are you saying this one? Yeah, I, I, if I was an Essendon sport, I, I suppose I'm not as, um, have at the start of the year, not as over the top with Essendon as a lot of people were, um, including yourself. But I, um, I've i been pleased with what they've done. And I, I was, if I was an Essendon sport, I would have been pleased with last week. Like it was a poor first quarter, no doubt. But they are a very good side. It's like Hawthorne's third quarter, and people wanted to bag Hawthorne about that and, and tip a bucket on them. You could tip a bucket on Essendon, but I, I wouldn't have done that. They And then they fought back. I showed, thought they showed some perseverance, thought they showed some maturity. Uh, they moved the ball well. Um, they caught uh, Geelong out by spreading it. Um, so overall, I think you now there's blue skies ahead. I think last week, this week, and they've got a couple of tough games, so it's going to be a tough period for them. They could lose two or three in a row. But I don't think much is lost, and that's that's the case. I don't think they'll make the eight this year, but I think there's some really good signs. Um, albeit saying that, I think Port has got to be the favourites for this game. Port have won four or five in the trot now. They're playing really good football, tough. It's interesting last week. 
and I, I'm glad he, he, he did it, um, Ken. He went to man-on-man after half-time, and St Kilda couldn't get it out of their back half. Even if they flood like they do, they generally get an outlet because his own defence and you know allows a bloke space. But uh, he went man-to-man, and St Kilda just couldn't get any run, couldn't get any movement. Now, he's not going to do that every week. It's going to depend on... So it shows different tactics can work, and I think that was a tactical thing that Hinkley moved, uh, did. Uh, his move worked. Um, so I think he's he's prepared to change the game on the run, which a lot of coaches aren't prepared to do. So I think uh, Zerk Thatcher on Dixon, if it's not wet, I think Dixon could kick four or five. I think they've got too many avenues to go, and I think I think they'll win. You mentioned Essendon. I, we've talked about this before, but Essendon are doing things that they haven't historically been capable of doing, and fighting back from adversity is one of them. <laughs> you know, it's, it sounds ridiculous you've got to say that, but, I mean, previous, even last year, I reckon, had they had the first quarter they did, they would have been absolutely taken apart. But as you said, they, they hung in there, and they really, you know, third quarter they – actually look like they were still a pretty decent winning chance. And, you know, 28 points in the context of how that game had started for them actually wasn't that bad a result. So I think they'd be encouraged by that. It's just that thing about becoming a more reliable, honest, hardworking football team that you can depend on for at least a a minimum amount of effort week in, week out. So I think they'd be pretty happy with that. Yeah, they would be. what what it's doing is it's exposing some some holes in the team, which they're going to... Okay, And we know... They haven't got a tall defender. Now, Zerk Thatcher really shouldn't be playing on Hawkins. Like, it's just a mismatch in size and experience. Like, it's a, it's a great learning curve for the young lad. And the young kid did well on Cameron after half time. So he, he showed a fair bit of mental fortitude, showed a bit of person. He hung in there and he did quite well. So so he's a player for the future. They just need that bigger defender to, like, like they had Hurley in the past, be able to be a holder spot there. Um, they could probably add another midfielder to support their midfield, maybe a bigger midfielder. I know, I know Setterfield's there, but he doesn't use the ball that well. He's more of a maybe a tagging guy. Um, so I, I think the I think they've got some, you know, some, you know, the good bones of a good side. They just need now to add in areas where they're a bit, you know, they've got a weakness. More good news support, of course, uh, not in terms of size and strength necessarily, but uh stretching that Essen defense further. Todd Marshall expected to return after uh, missing last week with concussion. So, yeah, I'm like you. I, I think at home, playing good footy, um, you just can't really tip against Port in this uh, circumstance. I'm going for the power by 16 points. What do you reckon? Yeah, I've got the power by 21. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm similar. Right? All right. Uh, that is game one on Sunday. Uh, game two is a pretty interesting matchup. Let's have a chat about it. 3.20pm at the MCG, Hollingwood taking on Sydney. The Pies, top of the ladder after another rousing comeback win against the Crows last week in Adelaide. They are 6-1. and one. Sydney, on the other hand, lost by a point to GWS. I, don't know, I still don't know how they lost that game. Uh, 11th on the ladder at 3-4. and four. Uh, These sides, pretty evenly matched as a rule. Their last 10 clashes... Uh, have seen the Pies win six and the Swans win four. Sydney at the MCG, uh, their last 10, they've now gone five and five. Collingwood at the MCG since the start of 2022, 17 wins and just three defeats. Um, 
one of them, of course, the qualifying final against the Cats last year, and that was a narrow loss, as it were. Uh, some important injuries for both sides, but uh, I'll just get your initial thoughts on this one. Sydney, really disappointing to lose that game, but uh, overall played quite well. I don't know why I've got a, a thing about this game, but I just think they could give the Pies a bit of trouble. What do you reckon? Yeah, I think the way they play and they generally defend okay. They could, they could, um, they generally do okay against Collingwood um, and the SC. Uh, sorry, it's at the MCG, but generally they play well at home. But I think the Pies on the back of that effort with the players out, and it depends on Rampy. So maybe we can update there on the on the injury front too. He's a key from down back. I know Tom McCartney's back last week, but they they miss Rampy. Um, I think their confidence is knocked about a bit, uh, which is going to be a bit to say with Sydney about they always being mentally strong. I, I just I just think last week the Pies didn't play that well, probably should have lost the game and were able to get up. Well, you mentioned Rampy, uh, and it's I do have an update, but it's not a good one. His neck injury is worse than initially feared, and he won't wow. be back now until after the mid-season bye. Wow. Uh, we saw Franklin and Tom McCartan both return last week. Uh, Fox has to clear concussion protocols, but should be okay. Tom Hickey uh, coming back to full fitness. So, look, they've got some on the way back, but, however, you've still got uh, Amati, Reed, Roberts, Paddy McCartan all on the long-term injury list. So um, yeah, it's a bit of a mixed bag there, isn't it? Rampy is a huge blow for them. He is a huge blow because apart from how to beat an opponent, he does give them drive. Nice long kick, but he'll run the lines. Um, with Fox out, depending on Fox as well, who's another defender. So they, yeah, I just, I, that's a question mark for me. I think uh, I'd imagine Pendlebury could be, could be back this week for Collingwood. So I, I just think Collingwood didn't play well last week. They were up against, a few players were sick. They had a couple of players out. And against the odds, they win again. Um, I think with a, with a week to recover... I think they'll be up and about in a positive way. And I, I think the Pies will get this job done. Pendlebury uh, expected to come back after missing last weekend uh, with that uh, the nasty eye injury, having a finger poked in his eye on Anzac Day. Mason Cox closing in on a return, of course, after that uh, big interview on 60 Minutes. Didn't that get a lot of publicity? It <laughs> did, yeah. <laughs> high-rating show over there. I guess it's good for the, the game, isn't it? He, he's an impressive, uh, impressive character, Mason Cox. Kruger's availability up in the air. He was subbed out against the Crows with a rib injury. Darcy Cameron, who was uh, playing great footy in the ruck, still a few weeks away from coming back. And Dan McStay, that finger injury, still five weeks away there. So still got some... Issues with their tools, no doubt. And uh, Jeremy Howe, that really, really nasty arm injury and just got an infection, I think, in that after that. Uh, TBC is the prognosis on that. So, gee, they've done a great job lacking some key personnel appliances. Yeah. No, no doubting them. Uh, they give you great value for money. I've upset a lot of the football public this week, Rocket, by suggesting that they're pretty, actually pretty likeable. It's hard to hate them anymore. And boy, that didn't, <laughs> that didn't win me many new admirers. <laughs> Unless you're a pure 40 person by saying that comment. Right, right <laughs> yeah. on it. Um, but they are. I mean, you have to like, either way they try and play, they, they try and get the ball moving and try and score. Um, and uh, and they're showing a fair bit of character. Uh 
And I think, you know, we spoke last week about uh, about Nick Dacos and, you know, we predicted Keys would go there. And what Keys was able to do was what we said, that if you bring him from 35 down to 27, which was done, and you minimise his effectiveness, which went from 85% to 55%, it's it's a win. It's it, but eight of those possessions were kickings. I don't know how. Right, you can bloke, you put a bloke in off the street and let him kick it in, and he's had eight possessions in an AFL game and can't, can't win his own ball. Like Nick does win his own ball, but I, I don't think that should be counted as a stat. But so really, Keys did a good job. It's um, John Longmire started the tag on him last year with Ryan Clark. So whether Clark goes to him again, the only difference with Ryan Clark is. He is just a shutdown. He, when he gets a ball, he doesn't do anything. Where, where Keys really tried to work off Dacos, won a bit of ball. Probably unfortunate not to be used a couple of times to kick goals. Um, Clark's not going to do that. So that that's that if he goes into the centre bounce, that allows uh, uh, Sydney not to have one good midfielder in there. So they're down by one midfielder to win the ball in there. So whether they work it out that he comes off from half forward and picks Dacos after the bounce and they swap over. Probably the way to go, but uh, um, yeah, I like Collingwood. I think they, they, you know, Nick Dacos is a star, Penderbury back as a star, Darcy Moore's a star, but they don't rely on them. Other players get the job done as well. They all chip. Elliot's been down for a few weeks now, and he had a great start to the season. So other people pick up the slack. Uh, Bowman Creary's become a really good uh, player for them up forward with his speed and aggression. So yeah, I think they're a good all-round side, and I think um, I think they can win. Margin. I think the Swans will show a fair bit of ticker and they'll bounce back, but I still think it'll be 15 points. I think the Swans are really going to push this one and uh, I'll give them a chance, but again, I'm chickening out and going for the pies by two points. And just quickly, great to see you taking up the cudgels on that uh, possessions from kick-ins thing. Does it worry you at all that it puts you in alignment with Kane Corns? Not at all. I I actually think that Kane, some of Kane's corn comments are very good. I think he's prepared to at least call it as he says it. Sometimes he goes for the other way. He puts the needle too far to get a clickbait and to be the shock jock. But I think generally most of the time he he is uh, goes to areas that people don't really want to comment. So I'm glad he agrees with me and hopefully more people do. I can see you as a shock jock. It's a Just disgrace. <laughs> All right. Uh, one game left in round eight and that is at Marvel Stadium. Let's talk about that one. Round eight wraps up on Sunday late afternoon slash early evening. 4.40 p.m. Marvel Stadium is the venue and the game is North Melbourne taking on St Kilda. Gee, uh, tough times for the Roos at the moment after a good start to the season. They are now down to 15th and a 2-5 and five after getting smashed by 90 points against Melbourne. And St Kilda, a setback, uh, second one in a couple of weeks for them. They are now down to third after a seven-point loss to Port Adelaide at home, five and two, their record. Uh, North and St Kilda, how they matched up against each other? Well, North have had uh, the advantage there. They've won 10 and the Saints have won only four since 2012. That uh, uh, must seem like a fair while ago for the Roos at the moment. North at Marvel. Since the start of last year, have won just the three games and lost nine there. St Kilda at Marvel over the t- same time period have won 10 and lost seven. Uh, the Saints, of course, still with plenty of injuries. Uh, they have overall made a good start to the season. They'd be disappointed with that loss to 
Port Adelaide though last week. Can they bounce back from that one against uh, a side that probably should have a pretty decent win against Rocket? Oh, I think they'll bounce back pretty easily this week. I think the I think the Kangas are, are really struggling confidence wise, and uh, yeah, the, yeah, the Saints have been disappointed, but I, I think Port are a pretty good side. I think these teams that are in the top. Even the, the competition is quite even, except the bottom four have dropped out, I reckon. Mm. Mm. I reckon the top 12, there's not much difference between them on any particular given day, depending on personnel and where they play. So it doesn't surprise me if some teams upset others in that in that, in that that sort of range. But Port are certainly saying they're in the top six at the moment, and Kilda are the third. So it, I don't think it's a bad loss. I lost by seven points. It can happen. I think Port are a pretty good side. Um St Kilda will will bounce back whether King gets back this week and they play him straight. Even if he does play, it, it'll take him a while to get used. It's just uh, it's just the way it is in football. But I think Steele back and Membry back. Um, now I think they're playing okay. The Saints they just played another good side. It's a chance to regroup this weekend. Um, probably boost their percentage up. The Kangas don't seem to defend that well. They just mm. the opposition seem to have too much space. They just. All of a sudden, they're getting the ball. You know, Melbourne players last week were 40 metres clear. It's like they stand and watch the players spectators and, and then they react, oh, yeah, I'm supposed to be picking that bloke up. It, uh, it's just too... Their defensive method at the moment, which I think is personnel-wise, I don't think it's the actual system, uh, that they're really struggling with. So um, hopefully um, hopefully Davies Uniac gets back this week and you know, they need their best team to have a show this week. Just on that one, is it, I was wondering during the week, is uh, Mark's inside 50 a good um, indicator of defensive pressure? Actually, uh, having yes. looked at the stats for that game, Melbourne took 16 marks inside 50. I actually thought it might have been a bit more than that. Yeah, I think there was a lot of them in the first half. But, yeah, it is. And, you know, you're obviously contested to uncontested, but if you're taking a lot uncontested marks inside your own as a forward 50, it means there's no pressure up the field. Yeah, no pressure off the field. So, and they've they've got the you know the team defence. So whether they need to go man on man for a while just to just to make it tougher and tighter, I'm not too sure. Which is all right, but I haven't watched them enough. But they've they've certainly got their issues defensively, and they turn it over. So, I think Alice is trying to get them to be confident and back themselves, which is a good way to go. Uh, but unfortunately, they're just making too many errors, so they're getting hurt on you know they're getting hurt on the rebound. I've got to ask, do you think there's a few? coaches around at the moment who are sort of quietly chuckling about the master coach not faring too well and maybe thinking a bit better about their own records because it's not necessarily it's it's got it does have a fair bit to do with the cattle uh i don't know i never thought of that uh, i never I, thought I, of that don't give me that i think humans are strange beasts so how, how they think i'm not too sure but yeah i think it i think it I think it's a combination. I think you know you can get coaches and get the best out of players. Ross Lyons doing a really good job with the cattle he's got. If you want to use the word cattle, but um, I think it shows. And I mentioned earlier in the thing, people talk about our systems this and our systems that. But sometimes, if you haven't got the right players, your system's not going to work. Because mm-hmm. if your system was the be-all and end-all, well, you don't need to have AFL players. You can have anyone off the street come in and play. You can have suburban footballers going to play. So you actually need some talent to execute it and to be able to do the right things at the right time. Yeah, I was thinking a uh, few of those guys running around in Cerise and Maroon back in the late 80s uh, were probably questionable on the talent score too, a few of your teammates. Oh, well, you blame the AFL for that. They're the ones that uh, <laughs> had the concessions and the, and the recruiting process.
Speaking about talent, uh, North Melbourne needs all hands on deck at the moment. Uh, they've had some nasty injuries. Gee, that was a shocker that uh, poor old Charlie Combin copped fracturing his ankle. He's expected to miss at least 10 weeks. Coleman Jones is in the concussion protocols at the moment. Davies Uniac, the, the most obvious um, uh, miss, or uh, the one they've missed the most for him. Zebel will have a fitness test later this week too, so Fingers crossed they can come back and at least, uh, you know, give them a bit more on the talent score. St Kilda's still got plenty out. Caminiti's still suspended. Caulfield hasn't played all year. Neither has Jack Hayes. They're still some way away. Max King getting closer to a return uh, could actually be available for selection next weekend. So uh, that'd make a massive difference for them, you think. Uh, you still think they're going to have a pretty cruisy sort of win here. What sort of margin are you thinking about with this one? Uh, I think uh, 45 points. Oof. Okay. Well, that's uh, your blowout, uh, comparatively speaking, of the round. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm thinking 30-something. I'm going to go for 36. Uh, which brings us to the conclusion of round eight in another busy weekend of footy, topping off a, uh, as we said, momentous week of footy in the uh, grand scheme of things with uh, a new AFL CEO being announced and a new AFL team being added to the mix, Tasmania, coming into the competition, which uh, we're going to have years of speculation about jumpers and nicknames and all that sort of stuff. So, Looking forward to that. That should be a continual source of debate, which at least means we'll be spared some of the ridiculous sort of clickbait we've been forced to endure so far this season. Uh, thanks again, Rocket. Uh, enjoy your footy, everyone, and uh, we'll speak to you again this time next week. Yeah, well.